Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. Today's message is called Stop Comparing Yourself. Stop comparing yourself. I'm not going to make you do a show of hands, but if I was to do a show of hands for myself of if I ever compare myself, both hands and probably my feet would go up. I can say I struggle with comparison and that sounds like, oh yeah, that's bad for your mental health. Like that's not so great. But no, no, what it actually is most of the time is jealousy. It's envy. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's a lot more sinister than just something that makes me feel bad about myself. It puts me on the throne of my life. with me. We're going to be in Galatians 6, 1 through 5. The words will be on the screen. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for allowing us yet again to come here in your presence and um, be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us. Um, I pray that as we hear what it is that you have for us this morning, that you would just um, give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear um, your word this morning and your truth. Um, I pray over Trey as he brings your message that you would just give him the words that we need to hear this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. As we were singing that last song, this verse from Romans chapter 2 came to mind. Uh, from chapter 2, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And I know today that you may not feel like the kindness of the Lord is pursuing you, but it is. And I sense that. Uh, today, even you guys just being here, that the kindness of the Lord is pursuing me. And I pray that as we dive into God's word, as I bring a message that you sense the kindness of the Lord uh, pursuing you, pursuing a relationship with you. I want to start out today a little bit different than I normally do. Uh, so through one of our church planting networks, uh, they provide me something called soul care, which if you've never done is awesome. It's like a hybrid between uh, spiritual direction and therapy. It's really cool. Uh, and I was meeting with the guy who offers this soul care, and the way he starts out every meeting that we have is by reading a quote. And he reads it once, and then gives some space for to pause and see what comes up, and then he reads it again. So I want to read a quote to you and give you space just to be still 
silent. Ask the Lord what might stir up within you if there's a word that jumps out. Maybe nothing does, but if nothing else, just to center ourselves in a posture of listening to what God might have for us. So this quote is from Frederick Beekner in his book, The Hungering Dark. One life on this earth is all that we get, whether it is enough or not enough. And the obvious conclusion would seem to be that at the very least we are fools if we do not live it as fully and bravely and beautifully as we can. One life on this earth is all that we get, whether it is enough or not enough. And the obvious conclusion would seem to be that at the very least we are fools if we do not live it as fully and bravely and beautifully as we can. So today's message is called Stop Comparing Yourself. Stop comparing yourself. I'm not going to make you do a show of hands, but if I was to do a show of hands for myself of if I ever compare myself, both hands and probably my feet would go up. Uh, I struggle with comparison. Uh, maybe you do too. I don't think, I don't have my smartphone on me, but I don't think our phones help a lot with that. We spend a lot of our lives comparing ourselves to some hypothetical version of our future self. Maybe it's not even someone else. Maybe it's who you used to be. It seems to me that we spend our youth wishing we were older, and then as we get older, we wish we were younger. When we were smaller, we wish we could be bigger, and then we're bigger, and now we wish we could be smaller. We're always wishing that we were something other than who we are. And our church is reading through the Bible in two years, and we just wrapped up uh, the book of Joshua. And if you're tracking along with us from the book of, uh, from Joshua, I think it's about chapter 13 through 22, it deals a lot with this thing called the allotment of land. Not going to read you uh, those multiple chapters about the allotments of land, but God had promised the Israelites to give them this land, their inheritance, what he had said he would give to his children. And in this later part of the book, we see how that land is divided up to be given to specific people. A bunch of chapters with very specific names of places that probably, to be honest, probably mean very little or nothing to you. But I couldn't help but think about as I was reading through those or even just seeing the titles of this land that was given, that God gives good gifts. But none of us have all of them. Seems like a very obvious statement. You don't have everything. I don't think you're meant to. That God designed us to work together. I'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts. This is talking about for those that follow Jesus, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So I hope you see the unity is that we have the same God, but what's different, we all are given different sorts of gifts. So one person might be someone who is able to speak, another person might be good at behind the scenes work, one person's good at administration and details, another person's big picture. Me, you don't want me working on details. I will not be your guy. I will be really bad at it. I need people in my life who are good at things like that. Otherwise, I would be existing like super high off in the clouds most of the time. And thank God, uh, my God, God gave me a wife who is very detail-oriented that helps me a lot with that. So keep going, verse 7. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice to another. The same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and to someone else, the one 
Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So, I'm not going to dive into like a full-on thing on what the different spiritual gifts are, just a little precursor. If you're part of our church members, that's something we're going to walk through together, helping you discern what your spiritual gifts are, and I hope to preach a message or multiple messages on some other point about what these spiritual gifts are and how they benefit the church. But the point for today that I want to get at is that nobody has all of the spiritual gifts. Now, this is for those that follow Jesus, but I think this is true in general. None of us are good at everything. Is that fair? Maybe you think you are. I'm certainly, there's plenty of things that I'm very bad at. None of us are good at everything. God gives each of us different gifts, which lends itself to this thing called stewardship. Are y'all familiar with that word, if I use it? So a lot of people, when they talk about stewardship, are referring to money, how we steward the financial resources that God has given us. Uh, to use it for the glory of God. But when we talk about stewardship, it's not just about financial resources. It also pertains to how you leverage the time you've been given, how you leverage whatever gifts you have been given. What's important to note about stewardship is it's not about what gifts you don't have. It's about what gifts you do have. I was in a conversation yesterday. I don't know if you've seen uh, the, I think someone won that big lottery. Is that right? with like a crazy amount of money. Maybe you've been in these conversations too. What would you do if you won the $1.2 billion? Fun conversation to have. and may pertain to stewardship, but I think the better question is, what are you doing with the $10 that you have in your pocket right now? We can talk about, oh, well, if I had more, I would do this. Okay, cool, great, maybe you would. What are you doing with the penny that's in your pocket? What are you doing with that gift that you have of teaching that you've never explored? What are you doing with that? Because stewardship is about using whatever it is that God has given you. It's about the present. I'm reminded of a verse that people often read at high school graduations, which is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Maybe you're familiar with it. It talks about God and the plans he has for you, plans for your welfare. And people often use that as like, hey, in the future, God's got these amazing plans for you. And that certainly is true. But if you read before it, the people of Israel are in exile. And God actually had told them, hey, you're going to be living there a while, so plant gardens, make a home, get married, have grandchildren, be there, for I know the plans I have for you. How would that change the way that you live if instead of thinking of what you might have, how do I steward what God presently has given me, where he presently has me? Maybe it's a career change on the road, and that's great if it is, but how is he using you today? How does he want you to leverage where you are today in this moment? Going on into verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. I don't have to tell you how body works, right? You need all the different parts. Unfortunately, in church world and in Christian worlds, oftentimes we emphasize the people that might be more in my position, people who speak. 
uh, speak, proclaim the good news about what God has done. Like that's where, you know, my role probably falls more in. But what do we need? All the body. And sometimes we get so caught up in wishing we something else other than what we are that we fail to embody what God has made us to be. I am deeply convicted that every single person in this room has been given a different gift and a different purpose that God wants to use. It will be different than mine. And praise God that it is. So how does this pertain to comparison? I was reading a book from a pastor in uh, New York named John Tyson. His book was called The Burden of Light. And he wrote that comparison is the root of most of the misery we feel in life. Comparison makes it impossible to view ourselves from any sort of godly perspective. Now, when I say comparison, I'm not just talking about, you know, if you were, if you're still in school or if you ever do those like comparison contrast like things for a paper or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you see what someone else has or what old you used to have and you wish that you had that. You wish that you were better looking. You wish that you had flatter abs, whatever your thing is. (laughs) Maybe those are mine. But, (laughs) so it's the root of most of the misery we feel in life. And you may may disagree with that, but I want to unpack it. Because comparison impacts us in a lot of different ways. First, it impacts our view of self. Comparison impacts how we view ourselves. Because then we are never satisfied with who we are or where we are in life. We're constantly just wishing we were someone or somewhere else other than where we are. We're never good enough. We're never farther along enough. We're always perpetually disappointed with where we are and who we are. And the crazy thing is oftentimes you find yourself getting to the place that you want it to be only to wish that you could go back. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but maybe it was like high school, right? You wish constantly that you could be a grown-up. And then you get to be a grown-up and you have to pay your bills and you're like, man, it was kind of nice to be in high school and not to have to worry about that. I thought I was busy. Didn't really know what that was like. (laughs) impacts our view of self, but not only that, it impacts our view of others. Because rather than other people being made in the image of God and on the same journey of life that we are, they become competitors to us. They become people that we just want what they have. We wish we were them. We wish we could have what they are. Maybe it's not even that we're idolizing them. Sometimes we degrade them. If you're like me, and I'm going to be honest, right, sometimes we see what someone else has and we come up with excuses on why they have it and we don't even though we're obviously better than they are. Maybe you all do the same thing. It impacts the way that we view others. Rather than seeing them as people made in the image of God and deserving of love and respect and people who are made to showcase something about God into the world, we envy them or we berate them. Not only does it impact our view of others, it impacts our view of the world. The world doesn't become something that demonstrates the glory of God, which is not my glory, it's God's glory. It becomes something that is meant for me, for my satisfaction. All the resources, all the talents, all the skills, all the money, all the things. Best case scenario, they all belong to me. It impacts our view of the world that everything revolves, not around God, but starts to revolve around me. When instead, if I'm celebrating how God is using other people, man, doesn't matter if you've got the gift or if I've got the gift or God's using you here and me there. Praise God. One day I'm going to die and my God will be remembered. That's what matters. Not only does it impact our view of the world, it impacts our view of God. Because God doesn't become holy, other, righteous, one that we look to as the source of life. Instead, we just look to him as a genie in the bottle. 
We look to him to give us the things that we want, more money, more time, more resources, uh, a relationship, more power, more influence, more followers on Instagram. Whatever your thing is, we look to him to give us something. God centers around me, which means that I'm not worshiping him as my God. I'm worshiping me as my God. Comparison, as Teddy Roosevelt famously said, is the thief of joy. And oftentimes, at least in my perception, comparison is simply a more palatable word for jealousy, envy, pride, selfishness, conceit. I can say I struggle with comparison, and that sounds like, oh, yeah, that's bad for your mental health. Like, that's not so great. But no, no, what it actually is most of the time is jealousy, it's envy. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's a lot more sinister than just something that makes me feel bad about myself. It puts me on the throne of my life where I am the one that matters. Now, I don't know about you. That's not a very, one, healthy way to live for a number of different reasons. But also, that's not a very Christian way to live. Because the central proclamation that we make about Jesus is that Jesus is Lord. Meaning, I'm not the Lord. I'm not the king of my life. I'm not the one who ultimately speaking, matters. It's him. Comparison also can kill contentment. Because if you're constantly wishing that you were something that you're not, if you're single, constantly wishing you were married, which can be a healthy desire, or if you're married and constantly wishing that you weren't, (laughs) or if you have a certain job and constantly wishing that you had something different, or wishing that you had more, that kills contentment. Being focused on what you don't have means that you aren't focused on what you do. If I could even further than that, it means that you're not focused on the one who is the giver. Because it's not just about what he gives you. But if you're so consumed with the things that you don't have, little do you know there's probably things, there's probably people who are comparing themselves to you, wishing they had what you did. And here we are wasting our time being so consumed with this life that we could have, that we don't have, that we failed to live the life that God has put in front of us huge temptation from the enemy. And if you're not careful, you can become so consumed with the life that you don't have that you fail to live the life that God has given you. Now, this may not be a life that you enjoy. This might not be a life that you would choose. But it's where you're at. And I believe God wants to use it. And I want to make a point here to to say that contentment uh, does not equal complacency. Contentment does not equal complacency. Uh, I'm the type of person that has a massive uh, inner drive. Like, I, I constantly feel the need to do more, to look better, to be better, to accomplish more. I feel that, like, that's what I think about all the time. Not always great. So I really like, and it's good for me to hang out with people that are just really peaceful and just good with whoever they are. But I also know that some people call complacency contentment. They are not the same thing. Complacency is being totally cool, staying in the same place, never becoming more like Jesus, never embarking on your calling, but falsely labeling it as contentment, which is I'm walking with Jesus, I'm being with Jesus, I'm enjoying where he has me, but if I'm with Jesus, what does that mean? It means I'm progressively becoming more like him and walking into who he has made me to be. Contentment and complacency are not the same thing. I would say actually like biblical contentment actually propels us into being more and more like Jesus. So what do we do with contentment? Instead of comparing, identify what God has given you and who he has made you to be. 
identify what God has given you and who he has made you to be. I find it, uh, while I don't necessarily enjoy reading this pas- these passages in Joshua that have all these really difficult to pronounce names and things that seem maybe irrelevant to your life, I find it really beautiful that God found it worth putting all of this stuff in the Bible, all of these particular details. Instead of comparing, identify what God has given you and who he has made you to be. Now, I know that in some, uh, some circles, we like to identify ourselves by what we do, right? Someone asks you, who are you? You say, well, I'm a, say, I'm a pastor, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, you know, I follow Jesus. Following Jesus is one of the things that I do. But in other circles, particularly within Christianity, um, we like to get so consumed with identifying ourselves particularly by what we do in a, whole, in a way that we deem holy. What I mean by that is we say, all right, I'm a Christian, but I'm a sinner. Uh, I'm not deserving of God's grace, which is true. You don't. But it's not an egotistical thing to say what God has given you in the proper way and to declare who he has made you to be. It actually can be a worshipful thing because what you're saying is, all right, I'm thinking of Ephesians chapter 1, for example. If you're a follower of Jesus and you want to look at a list of things that God says about you, read Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. He talks about you being adopted into his family, talks about you being blessed, uh, being given wisdom, talks about uh, you being chosen before the foundation of the world. A lot of really, really beautiful language. Those are the things that God says about you. Sometimes we are afraid to say, well, I'm a saint. I belong to God. I am deeply loved and cherished. That's, that's who I am. I am a son of God, co-heir with Christ, scriptural language. To be honest, sometimes that kind of stuff feels weird for me to say. It's more comfortable for me to say, mm, I'm a sinner and I don't deserve God's grace, which is true. But sometimes I, in that statement, I'm getting more consumed with my part in the, in the relationship rather than his. We falsely sanctify pride and call it piety. But they're not the same thing. Pride can manifest itself also in not only thinking that you're amazing, but also in thinking that you're awful, but you are made in the image of God. Yes, you are a sinner in need of grace, but if you follow Jesus, he says that he has forgiven you, invited you to be part of his family. He says that you are his son or daughter. That's what he says about you. And I don't know about you. I mean, I've got a one-year-old. I don't want somebody referring to my son in those terrible words that aren't true of him anymore. Not that he's not, doesn't get in trouble. He does get, he's, he's one, doesn't get in trouble, but he's a mess. He's fun though. <laughs> You'll get what I'm saying. It's not an egotistical thing uh, to say what God has given you. Uh, furthermore, um, sometimes, at least in uh, certain circles, it can be weird to talk about gifts that God has given different people. So for example, let's say, and I'm going to pick on you. Is that fine? All right, great. I get to pick on Daniel. I'm going to keep that in the back of my mind forever. So Daniel um, is got a gift of encouragement. Is that fair to say? Um, big gift of encouragement. Now, I don't know about you. I also have that gift of encouragement, and it feels weird for me to label that, to say that I have a gift of encouragement. Now, that sounds holy to say, oh, I don't want to admit that. But what that means is I'm not actually living into this thing that God has given me. Because, yeah, I have that gift, but I'm going to tell you a bunch of gifts I don't have. One's like administration. That for sure is it's not one. Carly's over there like, yeah, you for sure don't have that one. It's not necessarily an egotistical thing to say that you have been given this gift. It actually can be a way in which we say, this is totally of God. Me being up here and teaching, I mean, I've got family here today, like, 
that's a total thing of God. I was a shy kid that would not go into a gas station to buy milk on, by myself because I was afraid of talking to people. Me talking in front of people, that's a gift from God because certainly I would not have done that. I'm a raging introvert. I love being alone. But yet the Lord has called me to preach. <laughs> that's a gift from God. That's not something that I have mustered up by my own power. Don't guise it as piety when it's pride. Clever pride can disguise itself. And as one of my friends uh, said year, to me years ago that has stuck with me, uh, when referring to where we find our identity, I'm saying if we're not finding our identity in Christ and what he says about us if we're followers of Jesus, he said, who are you to think that anything that you've done is more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross? Who are you to think that anything you've done is more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross? Because if he says you're forgiven, and he's God, he means it. You might not feel like that's true if you're following Jesus. I get that. There's been plenty of times I don't. But that's what he says. And when we're not trusting that, that's a, we call it piety, but it's pride. I'm trusting my voice over God's. And I don't know about you, that's not the voice that I, I don't want to listen to my voice. Well, I do, but that's the problem. So, what do we do? If God calls you to something, so let's say it's a career change, let's say it's talking to someone about Jesus, let's say it's praying for somebody, let's say it's just taking an, a step in your faith. If God calls you to do something, he's calling you to do it. Sounds really simple, but he's not calling some hypothetical version of you that exists in the future. Some better you, more fit you, someone who is better at speaking than you are. No, no, he's calling you, and he's not surprised by who he calls. Reminded of Moses in the scriptures, uh, who was not able to speak, and yet God called him to lead a nation out of slavery. And tradition has it that he was responsible for writing a large portion of the Old Testament, the Torah. If God calls you, he's not surprised. And frankly, if he calls you to do something, you are the ideal person that he wants to do it. Not somebody else, not somebody who's better at speaking, not somebody who has more influence or power or success or more money or whatever. No, no, you. If he calls you to do it, you are the person he's calling to do it. And then when you find yourself comparing yourself with others, instead of comparing, celebrate and encourage. Uh, it, was, it was funny um, thinking about comparison, so I'd written out before this part of the message like about instead of comparing, celebrate. And I kid you not, I was on Instagram, which is great for comparison, <laughs> earlier this week, and I saw a pastor with, I mean, like a million followers or two million followers online or something, preaching a message about comparison. And in this like 60 second clip, I kid you not, he's like, instead of comparing, celebrate. And I was like, all right, <laughs> okay, cool. But seriously, instead of comparing, celebrate people. Do you know what kills con comparison in my soul? Celebrating what God is doing in someone else. Even telling them, hey, I see God working in you in this way. When I find myself wishing I had something that someone else had, I celebrate it. Praise God that you are working in this way in your life. And you know what that does to me? it actually changes my heart to actually celebrate it. Sometimes when I first start typing out the message or whatever that I'm going to send, I don't feel it yet, but by the end, usually I do. Instead of comparing, celebrate and encourage. And instead of comparing, praise God for the many ways he shows himself. A question I often ask myself is, would you be willing to do what God has called you to do if it meant no one ever knew? 
Would you be willing to follow after Jesus and find your worth totally in him if it meant you never got success or influence or no one even recognized what you said or did? Would you be willing? Now, hear me. I've got a gift of encouragement. I think we're meant to encourage one another and tell people how God is using them. I do believe that. But I also know that when Jesus preached, there were times, sure, that like it was really amazing and people came to faith, but there were also times it was really amazing and a bunch of people left. I also know plenty of examples of prophets in the scriptures that like, faithfully followed after the Lord, but like never saw any fruit. I also know some that did not so faithfully follow after the Lord that seemed to see a lot of fruit. Are you willing to follow after Jesus, not for what he might offer you, but just for him because he is worth it? Do you care more about his name being known than your own? And as we, as we wrap up, there is um, a comparison that I think is worth making. Jesus talks about counting the cost of following him. When Jesus invites people to follow after him, he invites them to do things like leave everything behind. Following Jesus is not easy. Jesus does invite us to, I think, compare life with him versus without him. And if you're not following Jesus, I want to invite you to make that comparison. Because he is, I really deeply believe he is worth following. Will it mean that your life is easy? No, he actually promises you're going to suffer. Promises things are going to be hard. But he also promises he will use it. And he also promises that he wins. And he also promises he's coming back. And he also promises he's going to make all things right. And he is worth following. And you know what? At the end of my days, if no one remembers my name besides family, okay, cool. Even my family forgets my name. You know whose name is going to be remembered? Jesus of Nazareth. You know why I know that? Because it's been remembered for a long, long time. And it's going to continue to be remembered after me. So I want to invite you, if you don't know if you're following after Jesus, count the cost. He's worth following. Apart from him, we are dead in our sins. We have no hope. We are sinners in desperate need of a Savior. But with him, he adopts us into his family, calls us his children and saints, calls us heirs of an inheritance and co-heirs with Christ. I believe that's from Romans chapter 8. Worth following. And if you would like to know more about that, I would love to talk with you after the service. I'll be right back there at the next steps table. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up as as I pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your kindness and your grace and goodness. And um, God, I'm I'm sorry I spend so much time uh, struggling with comparison and, and not living into who you've made me to be. Lord, help us all to just fix our eyes on you and walk confidently in who you've made us to be. Sure, it might not be what other people are like, and that's good. Praise God. Lord, I pray that our church is filled with people with a range of different gifts and skills to showcase your glory and your goodness and your power, Lord, because collectively we make up the body. God, I pray for those in this room that may not have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you, uh, your Holy Spirit convicts, um, and Lord, that your kindness leads to repentance, to turning from sin and, and trusting in you as Jesus is uh, Lord and Savior of their life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to New City Church's podcast. We hope today's message blessed you. For more information on who we are, what we do, how you can get involved in some resources for your faith, check out newcitynash.com. But until then, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen.